So my wife and I, we, uh, we have four kids. All four of our kids are adopted. And uh, we have a 10-year-old named Kai. We adopted him from China when he was three years old. And uh, when we got him, he didn't speak any English. And we didn't speak any Mandarin. And so it was a lot of fun trying to figure out how to communicate with him. And uh, a lot of Google Translate. And uh, just uh, trying to figure out how to say things back, back and forth. And so we decided to do uh, what any uh, good parent would do to, to teach their kids English. We showed him lots and lots of Disney movies. And, uh, and it actually was completely accidental, but it turned out that he did learn a, a lot of English that way uh, from Disney movies. In fact, this is a true story. The very first English word he ever learned was dadgum, and he uh, learned it from Mater uh, from watching Cars so many times. And he even said it with a little hillbilly twang like that, uh, and like it was in his voice too, uh, which was awesome. And uh, we absolutely loved it. But like all of our other kids, um, all of my kids, especially if you, it, we have three, you know, we have three boys, uh, they all have loved to wrestle and fight with me. And uh, when Kai was, uh, you know, when he was about five years old and been here, you know, a couple years, uh, been a part of our family for a couple years, and you know, he he learned he had a decent amount of English, decent vocabulary at that point, but there was still like nuance and things that he was picking up on, and so. Uh, whenever we would wrestle, you know, I'd be like, hey, man, you want a piece of me? You want a piece of me, boy? Come here. You know, just kind of like that. And so he, he came up to me one day, and he was like, hey, Dad, you want a piece of meat? You want a piece of meat? I'll give you a piece of meat. And I was like, actually, I kind of that sounds really good right now. A piece of meat would be really good. Um, but having played and wrestled with all of my kids countless times, um, one thing that's absolutely true is they love to pretend. Like, they're the ninja, and I'm the bad guy. They're the policeman, and I'm the bad guy. They're the cowboy, and I'm the bad guy. They're the soldier, and I'm the bad guy. I don't know if you're picking up a theme here or not, um, but uh, that, that's the way things goes. But when we're kids, we all, we all pretend while we're playing, right? Like we make up stories and adventures and pretend to be things that we're not, and it's cute and it's fun. But a, a lot of times um, we do some pretending as adults that that's not so cute and it's not so fun. And, and one of the most common games we pretend to play uh, as adults is pretending that everything is fine in our life even when it's not. Uh, and we do it in our relationships, we do it at work, we do, we do it in our families, and our, our relationships can literally be coming apart at the seams, but we, we will have a forced smile on our face, and, and through, you know, with that fake smile, just kind of tell everybody that everything's just fine, we're fine, everything's great, no, it couldn't be better. And, 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 and we, we not only do it outside of our families, we actually do it inside our families as well, where we just kind of pretend and gloss over things because we don't want to acknowledge them or we don't know what to do about them if we do acknowledge them. Uh, but here's the deal. Pretending and pretense, and you know this, uh, pretense eventually kills family life. It undermines relationships. It erodes our connection and trust because when we're pretending and we don't know what the truth is and we don't know where you stand and I don't know how you feel, it, it, it just completely begins to break down trust and vulnerability and connection. And so ultimately it, it ruins family life. And, and although most people like to pretend that their families are fine, the reality is that we all have some level of dysfunction to work through and to deal with in our lives, right? Like, like there's no completely perfect, completely healthy human being, so there's no completely perfect, completely healthy family. We all have some sort of dysfunction to work through. Some of us more than others, but it's all, it's, it's there for all of us. Now, the truth is, Making our relationships and our marriages and our families work, and not just work, but work well, making them healthy, it's, it's a lot of work. If you've been married for more than five minutes, you know that. 
It's that way for married couples with no kids, for single moms and for single dads, for young families just kind of starting out the journey of raising kids, or for those that are sort of neck deep in parenting, and, and you have, you know, older kids and teens, and, and you know, you, you have the bags under your eyes to prove it. You know, even for those that are kind of on the other side of raising kids, and your nest is empty most of the time, uh, whether you're a blended family or a broken family or just a regular old family family, relationships and families can be a lot of work. Uh, it, it's incredible. It's awesome. But it, it's a lot of work. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it, it feels really, really easy to mess up when it comes to the most important relationships in my life. And, and so here's, in fact, here's my confession to you this morning. And, and it's embarrassing and sort of painful to admit but there have been times in my life where I've done a better job as a leader leading the church that I was pastoring than I did actually leading my family, engaging with my family. Now, none of us do it perfectly, but there's a lot of voices out there that are telling you that you can't make it and you don't have what it takes or that you're not good enough or that your family won't make it or your marriage is doomed to fail or you're broken beyond repair. Or it's too late to sort of fix it or turn it around or your kids are going to be screwed up. But I'm here to tell you that none of that is true, that God is for you, that he is for your family, that you can make it, that your family can win, that your marriage can be healthy and strong and fulfilling, that your kids don't have to grow up and hate you, that, that your family history doesn't have to repeat itself. But here's the truth, and it's, the, it's one of the things that we've been kind of driving at all month long, is that our families are either growing on purpose or they get derailed by accident. Like there's no in-between, that we're either moving forward together, developing who we are, growing together, on purpose, being intentional, getting healthy, or the things that we sort of pretend aren't there, the things that we just sort of ignore and gloss over, they will derail us eventually on accident. Because none of us, not a single person, I, I've done, uh, I, I can't even tell you how many weddings, I, I'm doing a, another one coming up uh, in, in a little over a month and a half. And, um, and I've never had anybody be like, man, this isn't, we're not going to make it, but we might as well do this anyway. You know, I, like, I, I, there was a pastor I grew up with at the church I grew up going to. It was a huge church, and, and he was an older pastor, and everybody sort of revered and loved him. And he was a really great guy and uh, a really awesome, uh, just a really awesome guy. Loved Jesus, and, and, but he was doing a, a wedding at this church, and it was for a couple that, uh, he had only spent a little bit of time with, and um, and and there was some, you know, some some funny stuff that was happening. And so they got done with the wedding. He walked off the stage, went in the back, and didn't know his mic was on. And he was like, "Well, we'll see how long that one lasts." And uh, and everybody in the everybody in the auditorium heard him say that. And it was like, "How dare you!" But look, none of us none of us set out for our relationships and our families to get shipwrecked. But it happens. It happens. It happens to a lot of us. It happens to a lot of people. And, you know, statistically, it happens to about half of us. And so how do, we're, we're either developing and growing on purpose or we're eventually going to get derailed just completely by accident. My wife and I, we both love cooking, uh, but we can never actually do it at the same time because we go about it completely differently. Um, I like to freelance and wing it a little bit, and I, I bring a little flair little pinch of this, a little dash of that. Just picture Gordon Ramsay, you guys. I mean, it's, there's a lot of yelling and screaming, but it comes out delicious. Uh, but she likes to follow, she likes to follow the instructions to a T. If it's not in the instructions, it ain't going in the dish. 
Uh, and she's a much better cook than I probably because she follows the instructions and I just sort of make it up as I go along. Um, the other big difference is that she cleans up as she goes. I, on the other hand, just make a giant mess of everything uh, in the kitchen and, uh, and then enjoy the meal and then don't want to clean up. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how that works. So a few years ago, we were hanging out with some friends and our friend was making a cake and she didn't realize that she got the salt mixed up with the sugar. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but um, it doesn't, it, you know, it, it didn't taste great at the end because uh, she didn't know. Uh, see, but no matter, no matter what your style or personality, there's always a balance of ingredients in the recipe, right? If just one of them is off, if just one of them is left out, if just one of them's mixed up, it sort of ruins everything. And that's true in our families and our relationships as well. So today on our final week of the series, I wanted to jump, excuse me, I wanted to jump out of the Old Testament and look at the person of Jesus. And so I want to begin by reading this verse in John chapter one, uh, beginning with verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 and 17. So speaking of Jesus, this is what John said. He said the word, uh, speaking of, again, Jesus, the word, the, the full expression of God's heart, God's intention, everything God has wanted to say to humanity, the, the word, that, that's, that is the person of Jesus. Right? So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the, the recipe that God gives us for our relationships it, it, it is found in Jesus, right? It, it's equal parts, grace, and truth. Like it says that Jesus, who was perfect, was full of both of them. He didn't, and, and here's what's important, right? Is Jesus didn't come to try to like create a balance between them. He brought the full measure of both of them. And the truth is, in our relationships and in our lives, we, we're trying to balance them, right? We did a little bit of grace, and oh, it's too heavy on the grace, now it needs a little bit more truth, and the, you know, we're tasting, you know, we're trying to season it to taste and all that kind of stuff. But, but Jesus wasn't trying to balance them, he brought the full measure of both of them. And I think that's where we struggle, right? Part, part of one mixed with a little bit of the other, but then it doesn't kind of turn out like we thought, and we got too much of this and a little bit of that, and not enough of that thing over there. And so it kind of, the relationship sort of gets off and gets soured and then everybody sort of has a bad taste in their mouth, like, like when you get the salt mixed up with the sugar. And the truth is, even if you don't have kids, you have moments in your life where you're trying to decide whether you're supposed to like comfort a friend or confront that friend who's creating all kinds of pain and drama, whether it's for themselves or their family or their life. And, and no matter what you choose, like how do you go about either one? And, everybody's got an opinion. Somebody, some would say like, you got to be strict and confrontational and call them out. And kids these days, they get away with murder and nobody sets boundaries. And then other people say, no, kids just need to know that they're loved and they're cared for and they need more praise and encouragement and affirmation. And it's like, where is the truth? Where's the reality? And, and the, the truth is most of us tend to champion as adults what we feel like we didn't get as kids. Like if you look at your life and you look at what you felt like because kind of the missing ingredient in your relationship with your parents, or if they kind of erred on one side more than the other, like you tend to champion the thing that you felt like was missing for you. Jesus gave tremendous grace to everyone he encountered, but he also never shied away from actually speaking hard truth to them either, things that they maybe didn't want to hear. So there's a moment in, this, in the relationship between Jesus and one of his disciples. Uh, his name's Peter. And Peter had betrayed Jesus by denying him and deserting him. 
uh, when he needed him most. And after Jesus dies and is resurrected, he goes out and he, and he finds Peter. And this is the story of how that goes down. In John chapter 21, beginning with verse 4, we're going to read kind of a bigger chunk here uh, and then unpack it together. So in John 21, 4, it says this. It says, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And so he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? By the way, um, Jesus was Jewish. He wasn't Caucasian. This makes him sound like a really nerdy white guy. Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, he probably had a little bit more soul than that. Um, so no, they replied. Verse six. Then he said, throw out your net on the right hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. And the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, by the way, uh, the disciple that Jesus loved is the way that John, who's writing this, referred to himself. No one else referred to John as the disciple that Jesus loved, but John gave himself that nickname. He's like, by the way, Jesus's favorite disciple said to Peter, like, I mean, we guess when you're writing down what, what Jesus said, you can kind of, you can give yourself whatever nickname you want. So it says, the disciple that Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. And the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. And when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Mmm, doesn't that sound good for breakfast? And some bread. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore, and there were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. I just love that somebody counted. That's awesome. Verse 12, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. By the way, that is an important little aside. Like the resurrection of Jesus was not a fairy tale. It wasn't like uh, we think he, we might like, he made multiple appearances to multiple people, appeared to over 500 people at one time. Like he, anyway, not, not just a, there's, there's no sort of just throwaway details. Verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter re replied, you know that I love you, then feed my lambs. And Jesus told him, Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And Jesus, and he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus shows up to find Peter, and, and he doesn't do what we would have done. Like, if if you were betrayed by one of your closest friends, if you were deserted by, you know, and they denied knowing you at the moment where you needed them most, like, I don't know what you would do, but I would have some things to say in that very first moment when I see them again. And G, but Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't unload on them. Instead, he makes them breakfast. Specifically, he invites Peter to join him for breakfast. And, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know like, what, what that communicates to you, but I think that's an incredibly powerful moment between Jesus and Peter. It's an incredible, powerful moment between two 
just two people that, that you hurt me, you betrayed me, you denied me, you deserted me. Let, let's have a meal together. Let's sit down and have breakfast together. See, Jesus decided to make it emotionally and relationally safe for Peter right out of the gate. Full grace, full love, full acceptance, full connection, no conditions. No, you know what? Fix all this first. Make it right between us. You owe me an apology. You owe me, none of that. Just make some breakfast. Then after breakfast, after Peter knows that he's loved, after he understands that his his failures weren't fatal to his relationship with Jesus, then Jesus sits down with him and begins a conversation with him where he brings the truth. Do you love me? Do you love, he, asked me the, he asked him the question, do you love me more than these guys? Do you love me more than the people sitting around here? And the reason why Jesus asked him that question was because it spoke directly to what Peter had said and done before. See, all the disciples betrayed and abandoned Jesus. They all did. But Peter was kind of an overachiever, over, was an overachiever though, because he actually did it three times in very public situations. And on top of that, he was the only one to say, when Jesus told them that they would all betray him, Peter was the only one to say, all these other guys may abandon you, Jesus. All these other guys may betray you, but not me. I would never do that. I will go to the crowd. Like, I would die for you. I will die with you, Jesus. And so Jesus says, do you love me more than these guys? Now, I have to admit, just given my personality, sometimes when I read this story, I think, man, I could... Couldn't you just kind of do him a solid, Jesus? Just sort of let it go. Like, did you, did you have to bring it up? But Jesus brings the full measure of grace and the full measure of truth. Jesus actually loves Peter too much to let it go. And Jesus doesn't have my dysfunction, right? Because it's really like my baggage, my dysfunction, my brokenness that is like, ah, oh, man, the confrontation and the conflict. Couldn't you just kind of let it? Couldn't you just you know, like we're good. Just do the chest, hug it out, do bro hugs, whatever you need to do. So the heat, see the, the, the truth is, is that you and I, we tend to err on one side or the other where we're all connection, where we're a connector or we're a corrector, where we're mostly connection and a little bit or maybe no correction, or we're really heavy handed and go big on the correction and the boundaries and the rules with a little bit of relationship and connection sort of sprinkled in. And honestly, just think about it for a second. Think about the people in your life. You, you can actually start identifying people in your life pretty quickly on which they are. You know grace people, those people that, that are just all love and all acceptance and there's no rules. And you know, you know truth people, people who have no, you know, they, they have no filter, there's no grace, there's no relationship, and they say things. And even though they may be true, they're just harsh and rude and sort of off-putting. We all know people. We all sort of err on one side, being a connector or a corrector. And if you're a parent, haven't, you know, have you had one of those moments where you know that your kids need some correction, but it seems like doing what needs to be done would actually jeopardize the connection or the relationship that you have with them? Man, that, that has happened to me all the time, especially as my kids got, have gotten into be teenagers. There were times with my son, who's, who's uh, 19 and away at college, there were times when he was like between 14 and 17, that I just thought one of us is either going to die or we're never going to speak again when you leave this house. Because if I have to, because 
I have to address this thing, and the way that I want to address it, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well for us. My daughter Kaylee is 17, and she's one of the most amazing people on the planet, and we're super, super close, and um, her being my only daughter, like we, just super special to me. And, and, And being her dad has made me a better human being. When she was little, she was, um, how shall we say it, strong-willed? And, um, and, and I learned really early on to be careful what I threatened her with. Because Kaylee always calls my bluff. If I say it, she's like, oh yeah, I dare you. Even when she was three or four or five years old. So there was a time when she got in trouble when she was really little and I, she was doing the wrong thing and so I went in and I laid down I was like you do that again and this is what I'm going to do and this is I'm going to pull everything out of your room I'm going to pull she was very little so I'm I'm going to pull all the pretty stuff out of your room because you're acting very ugly and I'm going to take all your toys and all your I'll take your bed and I just you know I was really angry so I was threatening and she was just like do your worst big boy and then did it again and you know what I did I hated myself because it took me forever, but I took everything out of her room. And I left her a mattress in there so she didn't have to sleep on the floor. But I cursed myself that whole day because I had to take her bed apart and take all that. It's just like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. But every group, whether it's your family, a team that you're on, a company you work for, people that you work with, the recipe for health in all of those And all of those relationships is the full measure of grace and truth. Truth or grace doesn't work. It it doesn't even work to have more of one than the other because that's what we try to do is kind of try to balance them out. But in fact, like the dysfunction that happens in our family is usually when there's an imbalance between grace and truth in our relationships. It's usually because we err on one side or the other. It's only relationships that are full of both that actually grow to be really healthy. Can you imagine if Jesus erred on the side of grace, just sort of glossed over what Peter had done? Like, it's all right that you betrayed me. It's okay that you deserted me and denied me three times. Can you imagine if Jesus just sort of excused it instead of addressed it? Not, not only would that have like, been unhealthy for Jesus, that would have been really unhealthy for Peter, right? And I, I can actually imagine that because I've done that in my relationships. But, but here's what I've discovered. When we go heavy on grace and light on truth, we end up in passive aggressive relationships that are full of artificial harmony. And, and you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what that's like. Relationships where issues go unaddressed. There's not a lot of conflict because we're all just loving and a lot of grace and just we just sort of gloss over things, but there's manipulation and there's control and there's guilt and shame. There's no vulnerability and there's no trust because nothing ever gets addressed. On the outside, everything looks great, but beneath the surface, there's all kinds of problems. I've worked in places like that. I've actually known families like that that don't really talk to each other. They talk about each other, but not to each other all the time. And if we're honest, I bet you're like me and you can actually think of several relationships, maybe even people you know, 
people in your family, relationships that maybe you're in that are just like that. On the other side, too much truth without grace is just as destructive. Have you ever known someone who was just harsh and critical, but they just kind of glossed over it and made it and they just excused it because of they were telling the truth or just telling it like it is? People who try to control everything and everyone, making them conform to the standards, they're the rule enforcers. But when we go heavy on truth and light on grace, we end up in insecure relationships full of resentment and secrets, right? Because, because if it thunders all the time, you just start ignoring the thunder, right? If you hammer all the time, every, it's, not that, it's not that they don't break the rules. It's just they just don't tell you anymore when they break the rules. We all know what it's been like, what it's like to have been crushed by the words of somebody that we love. Many times the words that they were speaking were true, but because they lacked any sort of love or grace at all, it just absolutely devastated us. And if you're a parent, I just want to encourage you, be, be really careful here. Like how you talk to your kids when they're young often becomes, and, you, and you've heard this, you, you know this, but often becomes their inner voice as they grow up. Right? So if you're really critical and harsh, they will learn to be critical and harsh with themselves and with other people. By the way, I, I, I love to joke and mess around with people. I could be pretty sarcastic by nature. But one of the things that I've noticed about myself and other people is that oftentimes we try to use sarcasm as a way to cover over our lack of grace. And, and so I'm going to say something to you that I am really upset about, but I'm too afraid to just speak the truth, and I'm too afraid to give you the grace that you deserve And so I'm just going to be really sarcastic. I'm just going to take a sarcastic dig at you. See, Jesus knew the power of his words. Jesus knew that it was only the full measure of grace and truth that actually would change the path that Peter was on. Jesus knew the power of his words. There was a a moment in the story of his life where they were traveling. He was walking along with his disciples, and they had been traveling for a while, and they were coming to a city, and outside the city there was a tree, there was a fig tree, and Jesus was hungry, and so he walked over to the tree to pick a fig to eat, but when he got over there, there was no fruit on the tree. And, And so Jesus is upset, so he curses the tree, and it withers and dies. And... goes away. So Jesus knew, right? Jesus knew the power. Jesus knew the power of his words, but he never, ever spoke to anybody else like that. He never spoke to any human beings like that. Jesus knew that he could speak to a tree and it would die. It would dry up and go away, but he never leveraged his power or his words or the things that he said to speak to to anybody else like that. He never spoke to any of his friends or followers. He never even spoke to his enemies that way. See, truth isn't about me being right. It's about them being healthy. See, so often when I want to speak the truth to you, it's because I want to prove to you that I'm in the right, that I'm on the right side, that I have the power, that you need to do what I'm telling, that that you hurt me or you offended me or you broke the rules or you broke the relationship, and so I'm going to speak the truth to you. But that's not what the truth is about. The truth is about them being healthy. It's about our relationship being reconnected and restored. It's about our relationship being healthy. Jesus wasn't more more one than the other. He was all of both. He was all connection. He was all correction. Speak the truth to your kids. 
Jesus kept it real with Peter. Like he didn't gloss over it. He didn't compare him to the other disciples, right? Parent the kid you have, not the one you want. Correct for disobedience, not for just things that annoy you. Raise the level of expectation while also taking the, you know, at the same time, make it safe for people to fail that you're responsible for, or the kid, the people that you're raising. There, there's no one size fits all to this stuff. You have to just bring all grace and all truth. The way that we need to correct one kid would crush another one of our kids. The way that we connect with one of our children wouldn't mean anything to the other one. That's why you have to bring the full measure of both grace and truth. When unconditional love and acceptance are mixed with clear boundaries and truth, the result is healthy, mature, confident people who create healthy, mature relationships. So what does it look like? By the way, like we're never going to do this perfect, right? This is, this is a target for us to aim at. There's the only one who could ever perfectly bring the full measure of grace and truth is Jesus. But instead of trying to balance them both and add in a little piece here and there and mix it in, just realize you need to have all of both at the same time. So what does it look like? In Jesus' case, Jesus actually served Peter before he did anything else, right? He made him breakfast. He invited him to come and sit down. And in their culture, Making him food, having breakfast with him was the ultimate sign of acceptance and relationship because you just did not sit down and have meals with people that were your enemies. See, grace actually seeks restoration, not retribution. Oftentimes when somebody has done something wrong, we want them to serve us, right? We, we want them to prove to, to us that they're worthy of the forgiveness and the grace that we're about to give them. But Jesus did the opposite. So serve the people you love. Serve the people you're raising. Serve those you're leading. Serve those on your team. The, the, the truth actually doesn't lecture. It has a conversation, right? So on the one hand, grace, Jesus had grace and he served and loved Peter, but he doesn't lecture him either, right? Jesus could have sat down. If there's ever a moment, if there's ever a person who could lecture humanity, if there's ever a, a relationship, a moment in a relationship where one person deserved to be lectured, Jesus could lecture Peter. But he didn't. He didn't make him relive every one of his missteps. They didn't actually even talk specifically about what Peter did. Right? There, there was the whole part about feeding lambs and sheep that's kind of weird to us. But that was just Jesus focusing Peter on the future, on who he would be. Uh, that was Jesus saying, Peter, it's not over for you. I still have something for you to do. As a parent, share your experiences with your kids. Be honest about your fa failures. Be vulnerable. Ask questions. And then listen. Like, can you imagine right, if your parents did this for you? And maybe you can't imagine because they did it for you. And if they did this for you, you probably need to call them today and say thank you. Can you imagine being in a relationship that was characterized by both high connection and high correction, by both full measure of grace and the full measure of truth? you imagine your marriage, your family like that? No artificial harmony, no pretending, no harsh personal, personal attacks, no avoiding conflict, but having conflict that's marked by love and trust. It takes tremendous courage to step into our relationships and do this. Because what comes naturally for us, right? What comes naturally for me is grace for me, truth for you. I give myself grace, I'm gonna speak the truth to you. 
There's a lot of that going on in our culture right now. We just need to tell people like that. They need to, they need to know the truth. Really. How about we give them grace as well as truth? If you're a connector, it takes courage to actually step into the relationship and to correct. If you're a corrector, it takes courage to step into the relationship and connect. You're not going to do it perfectly, but you can begin to move that direction. You, you can, if you're way out on one side or the other, you can move back towards the middle. God's truth always leads us to what is real and healthy. His grace actually draws a circle around you and me. It draws a circle about every person you've ever met. God's grace and love draws a circle around Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Kamala Harris and Mike Pence and everybody that wears red and everybody that wears blue. And God draws a circle around all of them and says, I love you. I died for you. I'm for you. There's some people in the room that this morning, the step you need to take is allowing God's grace to kind of flood into your life for you to step into a connection, a relationship with Jesus. Maybe if you're a follower of Jesus, for some of us, like it's the other side. Like the, the step that we need to take is that we, God's been trying to have a conversation with us in our lives about a specific thing, and we've been sort of pushing him off and ignoring him and pretending. But the, the step that we need to take is actually allowing God to, to come with the truth and to correct us this morning, to, to refine the relationship. And so no matter where you're at, the good news is, is that Jesus came for us, and he brings the full measure of grace and the full measure of truth and he didn't just do that for Peter. He does that for you and for me. And so regardless of whatever you grew up believing, regardless of whatever you, whatever baggage you have from your family, regardless of whether you think of yourself as a church person or not, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the truth is, is that God's been pursuing you with his love. And he's inviting you into a relationship with him. And that he brings the full measure of his love and grace, full measure of the truth of who he is invites you into that relationship and so if you've never taken that step into that relationship that's that's the that's the place to start this morning for some of us we need to maybe adjust and realize that we've been all one and not the other we've been trying to mix and match and we need to step into our marriages and into our relationships into the place of our our workplace where we're leading into the way that we're parenting our kids and bring all all of both. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth. Lord, that you love us enough to seek us out and find us. God, I, I look back on my own life, my own relationships, and, and when I read this story about you and Peter, Lord, it's so powerful to me that you loved them enough to go and find them. That you didn't just turn the page. You didn't just move on. You didn't just go find other followers, other disciples. But you went and found them. You made them breakfast. You sat down together. And you healed the relationship. 
And Lord, I'm thankful that you come and find us, that you come and find me. Lord, that when I'm not living in relationship to you, God, when I mess up, Lord, when I sin, when I'm acting out my own brokenness, that you don't discard me, but you come and find me and you bring grace and truth. Lord, thank you for doing that. Thank you for showing us the way. Thank you for paving a path for us, God, that, that we can actually begin to aim at in all of our relationships. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this place. Lord, for every family, God, for every marriage, for all the parents, God, would you pour out your presence on them? God, would you press against their soul with your love, with your grace, with your truth? I pray that you would breathe life into relationships today, that you would begin to bring healing. And Lord, as we go from here, God, may we find the balance, God, where we're bringing both, all of both. God, may, may we go and step into relationships and maybe have conversations that we've been avoiding. God, maybe, maybe the thing we need to do, Lord, is to, to go and find some people and make some apologies because we've been so harsh. Lord, thank you for every family that's represented here. Thank you for your love and grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help every marriage and every family win. May they know that you are for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.